TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It's time for the latest on the Brewers, Bucks, and Packers with the Fan Afternoon Show on 1250 AM, The Fan. Yeah, dude, Sam, I think Evans really sucked. Oh, Mike's on? Uh, welcome back to the Fan Afternoon Show. <laughs> yeah. got, a little, got a little behind the scenes of uh, some of our debates. <laughs> well, it is the Fan Afternoon Show, 1250 AM, The Fan. I'm Toby Altizer. That is Sam Schmitz. We are live from the Lakeland University Studios offering co-op credit for work experience. Learn your way at lakeland.edu. This portion of the show is brought to you by News Nation. Do you want the news without the noise? Well, News Nation is news for all of America, reporting all sides with no spin and no agendas. Go to newsnationnow.com slash join us to find News Nation on your television provider. It is time for Pick a Lane on the Fan Afternoon Show. So if you want to hop in and talk about either of the topics we talked about in the first couple of hours of the show, feel free to hop in at 414-799-1250. You can tweet us at 12:50 a.m. The fan. The things that we discussed earlier today in the first hour is Craig Council getting too much blame for David Stearns and Mark Adonazio's failures, and then in the second hour, who are the Brewers' unsung heroes in the first half of the season? If you want to give someone a Knights Gourmet popcorn, 12:50, feel free to give us a call again at 414-799-1250 or tweet us at 12:50 a.m. The fan. Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report is going to join the show coming up at the bottom of the hour. Talk to him about the NBA and different things there. But until then, we got plenty of time for you guys. So give us a call there. Again, one more time, 414-799-1250. Diving back into what we started the show with today and Craig Council and is he getting the blame for things that David Stearns, Mark Adonacio, maybe even you could say the players, their failures, and... I think they are. And again, just to clarify our comments again, which Sam did a good job of earlier, when we say failures, we're not saying that the Brewers are a bad baseball team. We're not saying that they're underachieving by a lot. We're not frustrated with the Brewers or you know, saying that they're not going to be a postseason team. What we're saying, though, is this team has been to the postseason now multiple seasons in a row. They're going for their fifth straight year this year if they can make it to the playoffs. So at some point, it becomes about 
trying to win the whole thing. It's not just about getting there. It's trying to win the thing. And that's what we're talking about. Craig Council, I feel like, has caught some unnecessary criticism from some because of the different things that he's done, and he's the face of the Brewers for a lot of people in terms of decision-making. And so they blame it on Craig Council. Craig Council keeps putting this guy out there. Craig Council's doing this. Craig Council's doing that. And in reality, the guy that you should be blaming for X, Y, or Z is David Stearns. It's Mark Adonacio. Or, if we're being honest, and we want to add this into it too, it's probably just the player. You know, we can blame Craig Council for his lineup decisions, but is it his fault that Colton Wong is not living up to his expectations? Is it his fault that Luis Urias hasn't hit the ball as well as you'd like? Is it his fault that Woody has struggled a little bit this year? Is it his fault that Adrian Hauser continues to get shelled, it seems like, every time he gets out on the mound? No. It's not Craig's fault. Is that David Stern's fault? Uh, I mean, you could say maybe yes or no, because maybe they're put in a position that they're getting more playing time than they should be, but I don't, I don't know that I blame it on Stearns, and I don't know that you can blame it on Adonacio either. So sometimes, ultimately, it comes down to the players. But I do think, at times... Fans have gotten a little bit frustrated with this baseball team and because they know Craig Council. You know, we know the name David Stearns. You know, we know that guy. And so maybe people have done a good job of realizing, hey, that's a front office thing, David Stearns, that's him. That's not Craig Council. But is every Brewers fan the same in that way? Is every Brewers fan understanding enough that Craig Council's not making the roster decisions for this team? He has a hand in it. He's probably consulted by David Stearns when they're making moves. I think we've seen that in the past they've been able to kind of work together, and Craig Council has the experience, at least a little bit of experience, in a front office to know. So they can kind of work in lockstep together on this roster. And I don't have a problem with that. I actually think that the manager should have a hand in some of the personnel decisions and different things going on there. I don't know that I would say the other way around. I don't think that David Stern should have much of a hand in the in-game management. But I think overall, you have to be pretty happy with what Craig Council's done. Because here's what I think of when I think of a head coach, I think of a manager, I think of someone in that capacity. Whether it's football, basketball, baseball. The general manager's job, obviously, is to put the team together to put the pieces in place for the coach or the manager to use. What do I want out of the coach? I want them to, at best, like the best coaches of all time, Bill Belichick, I want them to get the most out of those players. That could mean being an absolutely dominant team because you're getting the most out of the players and that's what they're capable of, or being as good as you possibly can be with the roster that you were given, right? So they're not always going to be the most dominant team. Just because a guy wins coach of the year because his team won games, sometimes, if we're being honest, they can win in spite of coaching. If you ask anyone that follows the Bucks, I think a lot of people would go with they won a championship in spite of coaching. That's how a lot of people feel about Coach Budenholzer. So... How would you consider him a good coach? We can have that discussion another time. But the other thing is, 
if you're going to say that they're a bad coach, I would say that they have to be hurting their team. Not necessarily just letting them play to their average. And I would say with Craig Council right now, where would you stand on that? Because for me, I would say he's getting more out of what he's given than the majority of managers would get. I think that's where I feel. I don't know that I would say he's at his peak. I don't know that you could say he's the best manager in baseball, but he's getting up there because so many managers or so many coaches get basically what they can, basically what the team would give them without the manager. Think about what the Milwaukee Brewers would be if they didn't have Craig Council as manager. If they had just some random dude, or if they manage themselves, where would this Brewers team be? Would they be in the same spot? Would they be in first place in the Central? I don't know that they would be. You know, a couple things that we talked about with Craig Council, one of his strengths is his patience and loyalty. Sparky brought that up in Crosstalk before the show today. And you've seen that. That's a positive for Craig Council. Sometimes it's a downfall, sometimes it's a negative, But it's a positive. How many of us, if we were managing this baseball team, would have taken Christian Yelich from the three-hole and putting him down seven, eight, nine? I mean, some of you would have DFA'd him, which would be nuts. But how many of us would have moved him way down and he'd be sitting there batting 215 in the eight-hole? Whereas Craig said, albeit I think a little too late, but he eventually said, You go up to the leadoff spot, and we've seen what he's been able to do there. He's had patience with other guys as well. He's persistent to leave Willie Adamas up there. And look, I don't like the on-base percentage numbers. I don't like the batting average. I do like his slugging percentage, and I do like the home runs and RBIs he drives in. So you know what? Craig's left him there. He's given Rowdy Telez the chance. He's changed his philosophy on pitchers. It used to be third time through the order, you're out. Not anymore. Corbin Burns last night goes over 100 pitches, seven and a third. Love seeing that out of Craig. He's evolved as a manager, and he's continuing to grow. And I think, ultimately, when we look at what Craig Council's been able to do, he gets the most out of this Brewers team. Let's be honest, the cards he's been given aren't the best. He doesn't have the best hand. I think the way Bart put it, and I think it's really well said, For this Brewers team going into the playoffs, you don't have the most chips on the table. If you're playing poker, you don't have the most chips on the table. But the guy that's playing for you, Craig Council, the guy that's making the decisions, I think is going to do a wise job with those chips and make sure that you have a chance at the end. And I think that's why you have to be confident and happy with Craig Council going forward is I think he's getting the most out of this Brewers team that he possibly can. 414-799-1250 if you want to hop in on the conversation. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue talking Brewers here on the Fan Afternoon Show with Toby and Sam. It's the Fan Afternoon Show on 1250 AM. The Fan, I'm Toby Altizer, and that is Sam Schmitz. We are live here from the Lakeland University studios talking with you about the Milwaukee Brewers. You can give us a call, 414-799-1250, or you can tweet us at 1250 AM. The fans, let's get out to the phone line. James is in Waukesha. James, what's going on, man? Hey, Toby, how are you? Good. How are you doing, James? I'm doing well. Good Friday to you. Appreciate it. Hey, Good I, Friday I, to you. I think, I think we've lost 
lost sight in what the role of a, um, a manager in Major League Baseball is. And I don't care if you're talking about the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Reds, the Cubs, the Brewers. Craig Council is not making out tonight's lineup. Dave Roberts is not making out tonight's lineup for the for the Dodgers. And I can go on and on. Who is? <laughs> it's, the, it's the analytics department. It's the general manager. It's the president of baseball operations. It's the manager is just a figurehead. They're not even calling pitches anymore. They can't even they can't even call whether there's a replay. What do you see a general manager on a re, or a manager on a replay do? He, he's on the phone. Somebody's telling him, challenge it or don't. It's 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 a different era in in, in sports. And it's exclusive to Major League Baseball. Real quick, I'm going to disagree with you on this. In what way? I think Craig works in hand with all these people, but he's the one. I I get where you're coming from. I get the research department and the analytics department is helping him set the lineup, and they're giving him the different numbers that he wants to set the lineup. Craig ultimately sets the lineup, though. When you're talking about the replays, I understand what you're saying, but they have people looking at replay so they can help him out. Uh, I talked to so a, a coach at Indiana, Tom Allen, was speaking somewhere where I went and talk, uh, saw him and asked him a question about some of the analytics he had with replay and football, right, and challenging. And so what happens sometimes with their analytics department or replay is they'll give like a number, right, just a quick number like, hey, seven here. As is in if it's here, it's like a seventy percent chance, and I'm sure that's a similar sort of thing that they do here with uh, analytics and the um, what I'm, replay here. Like I'm sure whoever's on the phone, analytics is deciding a left-handed batter should sure, this guy. but ultimately Craig is making the decision. And and just real quick to wrap up the he's replay not point, that decision. he is, he is, no, he's, no, he's not. Joe Madden tried making that decision. He got fired. Uh, the guy in Toronto tried making that decision. He got fired. So are you are you basically saying that a computer is managing the Milwaukee Brewers? All of Major League Baseball. I disagree. I it it definitely is much more a part of the game today than it used to be. But the difference is we don't have a Mike Trout or we don't have an Aaron Judge or we don't. Yeah, I mean. It, it is. It well, is. and here's just to play devil's advocate here. That's why Craig Council would say, "Well, that's why we rely more on the numbers because we don't have a Mike Trout. We don't have it's a Shohei Otani." It's not his fault. No, I'm not blaming him. Sure. No. Yeah. It's 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 just what Major League Baseball has turned into. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. It, it definitely is more numbers driven. I just still think that ultimately he's fed all this information. It'd be like you know. I, putting stuff on the boss's desk and saying, here's all the info, you make the decision. And sometimes, and a lot of times with Craig, because of how he likes to look at things, a lot of times you're right. He's making the decision based on the numbers he's given, and he goes with the smartest analytical option. But there are times when he's going to go with feel. Right, right. And what's that feel based on? His experience in baseball. What's his experience in baseball? As a player? That's it. Not coaching, not managing at any level. It's been in the front office, too. Sure. Yeah. Okay, for one year as a special assistant. Right. Okay. 
What other team in Major League Baseball has a manager that never had coaching or managerial experience at any level? College, Major League. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was there a Brian Snicker or Mike Schilt? One of them never even played Major League Baseball. It's the way it's going nowadays. And if I'm honest with you, in a sport like baseball, that's one I don't mind a former player managing that never did that before. In a, in a coaching, in basketball or football, I'm not sure that I want a guy coming in with no coordinator experience or something along oh, the nature. No, no, no. We'd, we'd all lose our minds. Yeah, you know? I'm, fine <laughs> with, I'm fine with a manager that has never managed before coming in and being a manager. All right, but, but there's guys that have spent their whole career, 20, 30 years, sure. as, as coaches, scouts, and, and, and assistants, and, and, and they never get a shot. Yeah. Last last one. I want to. I got to let you go here, James. Right. Do you want someone else managing the Milwaukee Brewers? I want somebody else owning the Milwaukee Brewers. I didn't ask you that. Do you want someone else managing them though? Because I get the I owner thing, but ma- I don't think it would matter. Okay. You could, yeah, you could have anybody manage them. Yeah, you get the same result. All right. All right, James. Appreciate it, man. All right. 414-799-1250 if you want to hop in on the conversation real quick. I do get where he's coming from. I, I do get where James is coming from. I, I generally wouldn't agree with a lot of the stuff he had to say, but I do understand where he's coming from. There are going to be more analytics and stuff involved in the game. It's just the way that sports are going. Whether you want to talk football, basketball, baseball, there are more analytics involved in all of this stuff. But ultimately, with Craig Council, with coaches – they get the information, whether it's in their headset, whether it's on their desk, whether it's on you know, their clipboard, whatever it is, they're going to get the information and they ultimately make the decision. That's kind of where I'm at. I don't think sports is ever going to get to a point where that's not the case. Ultimate decision lies with those guys. So I get where he's coming from, but I do disagree in that point. I, I think it's a mixture of both. Like, look, we, I think uh, James and you were right. Like, clearly the front office and the numbers are clearly dri- driving, like, a lot of these lineup decisions and all that. But this question, I think we're kind of missing, like, where this question came from. It's coming from a lot of our responses from the post-game show and a yeah. lot of people that call in. Like, mm-hmm. they, they blame – look, although we know that the numbers in the front office drive the lineup changes, like, our callers and our listeners make it sound like this is all Craig Council's fault. Yeah, so they blame lo- everything. It's not it. we're not really you know basing this off of the, the logical reasoning, which yes, we all know that that's that's probably what's happening with the lineups. But at the end of the day, like when you hear people talk about Craig Council, they make it sound like the players performing and the players batting where they, well the players batting where they are is probably partly him, but the performance of the players and stuff like mm-hmm. that and who these guys who he has to manage on the Brewers, they make it sound like that's Council's fault. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that, that's kind of why we're asking this question. One hundred. I don't think people realize like. A lot of this is on the players, obviously, not performing, but that's because of the roster construction. It's because of who David Stearns has brought in. Yeah, it's all things out of council's control. And right. I, I totally agree, and that that's kind of where we're coming from. Unfortunately, I don't know if everyone's understood that. I think a majority of people do, but either way, I think that's a good discussion James and I had there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Dan Favali from Bleacher Report. He covers the NBA 
for them also has a podcast that you need to check out. It's called what is it again? Hard Hardwood Knocks. Hardwood Knocks podcast. Yeah, Hardwood Knocks. Make sure you check that one out as well. And uh, we'll talk with him coming up next here on the Fan Afternoon Show with Toby Altizer and Sam Schmitz. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. It's the Fan Afternoon Show on 1250 AM. The Fan, I'm Toby Altizer. That is Sam Schmitz. This portion of the show is brought to you by News Nation. Do you want the news without the noise? News Nation is news for all of America. Reporting all sides, no spin and no agendas. Go to newsnationnow.com slash join us to find News Nation on your television provider. Joining us now on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from Bleacher Report, covers the NBA them, as well as the Hardwood Knox podcast, is Dan Favali. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Favali. Dan, how's it going today, man? I am doing well. How are you doing? Good. Excited to talk a little bit about uh, the NBA and all the craziness going on this offseason. So let's start with the Summer League and different things going on there. What have you thought about the Bucks Summer League team with different guys like Mamu and uh, Wigington and seeing what Bochamp has looked like? Yeah, look, uh, Marjan Bochamp was someone I zeroed in on before the draft that I was just super intrigued by. Um, looking at the his level of just defensive malleability and then some things he can do in open space going downhill to the basket. Uh, the question was, could he hit his jump shot consistently enough? And from what I've seen in Summer League, he looks really comfortable getting to the corners, even moving a little bit to get where he needs to be and then hitting those shots. If he can do that during the regular season, I know we tend to romanticize or maybe read too much into what's happening during Summer League, especially for contending teams. But depending on how healthy Chris Middleton is or isn't to start the year, like I just wonder if this is someone who could maybe crack semi-regular minutes to, to start the season for the Bucks because he has really impressed me from what I've seen. Yeah, it's been exciting to see Bochamp, as well as some of the other guys are doing well. I saw that Keith Smith was talking a little bit about uh, Wigington and Sandro Mamukelishvili. Are those guys that you think could stick around with the Bucks, or maybe if the Bucks don't ultimately add them to the roster, that they could maybe get a role with another basketball team? Um, from what I've seen, probably I can't imagine looking at the the roster space with Milwaukee right now that they're going to carry either one of those guys beyond their their two way contracts. I think this is something that 
maybe during the middle of the season, depending on how injuries have gone or if they've been able to do really well with the big club. Could you see one of them um, sort of getting that uh, traditional NBA contract? We saw it, I think, not a rookie, but looking at what the Heat did with Caleb Martin, uh, where he becomes too indispensable to what you're doing, that you um, convert him to that contract. So that's certainly a possibility. I would be a little bit surprised if it happens before the start of the regular season, though. Talking with Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report, covers the NBA for them. Let's dive into some of the things that happened yesterday with DeAndre Ayton. Now looks like the he's just going to end up going back to the Phoenix Suns. Does that take them out of the mark market for a guy like Kevin Durant? I don't think it does, just because Ayton's appeal was always, can you send him to a third team who is then sending assets to the Nets? And that gets a little bit tricky in the first place without that scenario on the table, at least until January 15th. And even then, Aiden has veto power on any trade for a full year. Um, your top dollar offer right now, I'm not saying you put this all on the table, but it's Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first and three swaps. When you look at the other teams that have been involved, Miami and even Toronto specifically, who's not willing to include Scotty Barnes at this moment, uh, you could still make a case that the Sun, relative to the field, will have the best offer available for Kevin Durant, whatever permutation that takes. This right now seems more like a question of, are the Nets willing to accept what's on the table? Or is Kevin Durant, seeing that the Nets might be content to bring him into training camp, is he willing to open up his list of teams? That he only has the Suns in the heat right now. And so that creates a very finite market. And I think we're, I think, excuse me, we're seeing that effect in play, just given how underwhelming the offers have generally been, at least reported for, other teams that are not Miami or Phoenix. If you had to choose to put your money on someone right now for where Kevin Durant plays game one next year, is it with the Nets? I would still place my money on the Suns, I think. This just typically the best players in the NBA, if they want out and they want to go somewhere specific, uh, they get there. I mean, we've just seen it time and again. And so that's my, my gut feeling. I do think the Sean Marks extension in Brooklyn maybe emboldens him to let this get awkward and bring Kevin Durant into training camp and this probably isn't a Houston situation where we saw with James Harden and he comes into training camp out of shape and is pouting um, in the middle of the games and we even saw that a little bit with the Nets uh, so I do think it's on the table for him to go back to Brooklyn but just based how this is all unfolded my prediction would still be that Kevin Durant ends up on the Phoenix Suns before next year. And how about Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant's running mate in Brooklyn for the last couple seasons is he just going to end up with the Lakers or where do you see him going? Yeah, I think if Kevin Durant uh, winds up staying in Brooklyn or at least goes in the training camp, they probably feel more comfortable having Kyrie there too. Uh, but if you're going to move Kevin Durant, my guess is that Kyrie just ends up with the Lakers. I don't know if it's the Nets that end up taking on Westbrook or if it's a third and fourth and fifth team that gets involved. But uh, the Kyrie to the Lakers noise feels real unless the Lakers decide to pivot in a different direction uh, before the Nets are ready to move him. But that would be, you know, if I had to predict right now, I would think that Kyrie Irving ends up on the Lakers in, in no small part because I don't think there's another team in the NBA that's going to give up real value for him, where I could still see the Lakers trading um, the two maximum first-round picks that they're allowed to move. Talking with Dan Favalli covers the NBA for Bleacher Report here on the Fan Afternoon Show. Donovan Mitchell is another intriguing trade target for a lot of teams if you're Utah, what are you doing with Donovan Mitchell? Are you trying to keep him and then retool around him with some of the assets you got in that Rudy Gobert trade with some of those picks and things? Or are you going to trade him as well? Yeah, I'm absolutely moving him at this point. Uh, you already moved, who's probably your best 
player, even though Donovan Mitchell is more valuable long-term and when you're looking at how playoff basketball unfolds. But there's been rumblings for years at this point that Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to be there. He will still have two years left on his deal if you keep him through next season. But right now you're talking about someone with three years left on that rookie extension. Those types of players really rarely get moved this early. And looking at the trade market right now where teams have just been throwing around not just a mass amount of first-round picks, but a mass amount of distant first-round picks, uh, I'm capitalizing on that market now. Since you're, even if you're keeping Donovan Mitchell, you're not, you know, they can call it a retool, but you're at least going through a one, if not two-year transition period. So I would look to move him and just get the most value possible, prioritizing um, unprotected first-round picks, especially ones that go out longer into the distance. Looking at what's happened so far this offseason, which team do you think has improved the most so far? Ooh, that's a great question. I think, look, Everyone believes that Minnesota kind of overpaid for Rudy Gobert. Uh, that team is going to be scary in the regular season. I like the Austin River signing as well, but having Cat and Gobert, D'Lo, Anthony Edwards, and Jane McDaniels as a, as a lineup, that's going to be absolutely terrifying. I think we also need to look at the Celtics as well, just sort of adding Malcolm Brogdon to their core. That's all of a sudden a rotation that just goes eight really good NBA players deep at this point. And I just wouldn't sleep on, you know, there's the Clippers because they get healthier. Um, and then there's the Nuggets, who, yes, they're going to be healthier. But to get KCP and Bruce Brown in the same offseason, uh, those are two guys that give you a lot of defensive versatility, but both of whom can defend a point of attack. And there's a trickle-down effect there. It's going to make Aaron Gordon's life a lot easier on defense, too. So the Nuggets are not just by virtue of getting healthier, but the additions they made. I think that they're going to catch some people off guard next season in the Western Conference. Yeah, and then on the flip side of that, is there a team that really took a step back this offseason that maybe has contended over the last couple of years that you just see not being a part of it anymore? Uh, well, certainly Utah. Looks like it's going to blow it up is the, the obvious answer there. Um, I, I guess the other team in this instance that we might need to consider, and they haven't done anything like drastic, it's just something there feels off. Chicago confuses me. You're bringing back Zach Levine. DeMar DeRozan's coming off an all-NBA season. Maybe Vooch is better. Uh, the Lonzo Ball health updates have been unsettling at best. You still don't really know what Patrick Williams is. Don't have a ton of assets to trade. You have some pretty big gaping holes on the wings still. And if Vooch is as bad as he was last year, you do have Andre Drummond to back him up. But that's just not a team that has like a really um, dependable defensive anchor in the middle right now. And that's a team where, again, they didn't make a lot of changes, but I could see them taking a, a significant step back next year. And then looking at the Eastern Conference, where do you have the Bucks? Are they still just going to go right back to one of the top teams in there, assuming that Chris Middleton comes back healthy like we all expect him to? Is it just going to be Celtics, Bucks, Sixers, and Heat again? I would say yes. I think, you know, I don't want to say Milwaukee's necessarily been glossed over, but people are drawn to, like, change. And Milwaukee just hasn't undergone a ton of change. This is still a team. We could be talking about them as repeat champions right now if Chris Middleton never gets injured. I view the East at the moment as Boston, Milwaukee, and then everyone else. They still have those two teams in a tier of their own. Miami, if they get Durant or Donovan Mitchell, has the potential to climb up. I think Philly has that potential as well, but I just need to see what James Harden looks like going into to next season. So the Bucs, as long as you can say that Chris Middleton is, you know, forget the regular season uh, for this team right now, but if he's healthy for the playoffs and so is Giannis and Drew and you have Connaughton there still and Brooke Lopez is healthy, um, they still have a case of the best team and the favorite to come out of the East. So I do believe that they're in a tier by themselves along with Boston still. And one of their additions that I think was intriguing 
for people this offseason, Joe Ingles. How do you see him fitting in, and does he help them? Because last year in that Celtics series, the half-court offense when Chris Middleton was out was just atrocious. Is he someone that can help with that, and what kind of role do you see him playing for this team? Yeah, I think, look, once he's healthy, um, it, I, I think he's going to make a huge impact on the half court if you're willing to put the ball in his hands. Maybe it's units where you only have one of Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday on the court with him. Uh, Joe Ingles can be like a little bit unnecessarily risky when it comes to running pick and rolls in the half court, and he'll commit a lot of turnovers. But this is someone who defense is respected as a shooter, whether he's on or off the ball, and he does make really good passes, knows how to sort of operate and decision-make at a, a deliberate pace when things slow down. And so as long as he's going to be healthy, uh, he's someone who definitely diversifies and opens up their half-court offense a little bit. I will be intrigued to see just what he looks like defensively coming back from this injury when there was some slippage there last year even before he got hurt. But Milwaukee uh, has the other players to cover up for it. But if you're looking for him to sort of help you get to those units um, and make you know the Giannis Portis drug courts even stingier, just Giannis as your lone big even stingier, I'm not sure he's that type of player still, but he's certainly going to be a boon for, for their half-court offense to me. Talking with Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report, covers the NBA for them, also a host of the Hardwood Knox podcast. Do you have any concerns about the Bucks going into next season or any weaknesses you think that they needed to address that they didn't this offseason? I, I think I would be concerned about sort of to what I just alluded to, where you're looking at um, having a more dynamic front court setup. I don't know if Bobby Porter's been fantastic for them, and we know the value that Brooke Lopez brings, but you still haven't found, and I don't think this is Ingles, um, you still haven't found the, the P.J. Tucker replacement in the sense of the guy who opens up those postseason combinations where maybe Giannis is the lone big. And perhaps you don't want to lean on those combinations as much, but I do think that's a potential cheat code that stares them in the face that they've used in the past. Um, and I don't know that they have the, you know, call it the four guy or someone who can be, you know, blur the lines between four and five when they're playing with Giannis. They're still missing that type of player. And that's someone I would like to see them try and acquire uh, IRV to trade still this offseason or as we get cr- closer to the deadline and just have a better feel for what directions other teams that are on the fences will be heading in then. One last one here. A lot of Bucks fans were frustrated with two guys in particular in the postseason, George Hill and Grayson Allen, especially Grayson Allen in that Celtic series, George Hill as well. Are you surprised that both those guys are back with the Bucks? No, I don't know what the market for either of them would be, especially George Hill at this point. Uh, the flip side of that is, though, when you just sort of look at their contracts, like Grayson being under you know, a two-year, basically $18.7 million deal, uh, you can move that, and you can move Hill. And like Between those two, you're looking at being able to take back a pretty sizable salary in the middle of the year if there's a team where things go sideways, they're looking to cut payroll or long-term money, um, or you're able just to sweeten the deal uh, a little bit. I know the Bucks aren't exactly flush with assets. So I do think that um, Grayson Allen specifically, just because the type of mid mid-end, mid-level money he makes, he can still be valuable to them be a trade, but it feels like that's more of a, a mid-season value than an off-season value. Dan, appreciate the time, man. Appreciate you coming on with us. No problem. Thank you for having me as always. Take care. There you heard from Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report, who covers the NBA for them, and he joined us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. If applying for a home renovation loan has you feeling anxious, breathe and let Great Midwest Bank help you experience a state of tranquility. Get started at greatmidwestbank.com today. We'll wrap up the Fan Afternoon Show next. 12.50 a.m., the Fan. It is wrapping up here on a Friday afternoon of the Fan Afternoon Show. 
Toby Altizer alongside Sam Schmitz. We are live from the Lakeland University Studios offering co-op credit for work experience. Learn your way at lakeland.edu. Final three games before the All-Star break, and the Brewers take on the Giants for three more. They get the win last night. Tonight, fun matchup. Brandon Woodruff and Alex Wood. So Wood versus Woodruff. <laughs> I, I really do think, though, like aside from the names and all that, I was talking with Tim about this tender postgame show last night. Um, I think this is going to be another, like, I think we've, you know, all four of these games aside from the finale. Cause it's oh, gonna be Jason, Jason Alexander. Alexander versus Logan Webb right. is going to be carnage. I got to see Webb in uh, San Diego for his last outing. He was still pitching in like the eighth inning. Clearly the ace of that team. But, um, you know, this, tonight's matchup is going to be another, I think, another sneaky one because you look at Alex Wood's uh, ERA, and then I'm sure a lot of Brewers fans know him from the Dodger days and all that. But I heard um, Rob Rob Murray talking about Alex Wood this season, and we were kind of talking about it, I think, a couple weeks ago. Like, San Francisco is a team kind of like the Brewers and the Rays where they can bring in a veteran pitcher and they can, like, tweak a thing or two and just kind of bring him back to life in a sense. They've kind of done that with Alex Wood this year. The ERA might kind of be a little deceiving, but I think his last outing against the their division rival, San Diego Padres, Alex Wood went seven innings uh, and then like a seven-inning shutout for Alex Wood in his last outing. So we all know how the Brewers do against lefties too. Another one on the mound tonight against them. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm unlike a lot of fans where I really enjoy the pitching matchups. And, uh, oh, I do you know, too. A, a pitcher like duel and all that. I obviously love the home runs and stuff like that, but when I'm watching at home, not so much when I'm at the game because I can't. Totally agree. I can't. I can't really see every pitch and how it moves and stuff That's like that. That's why I like seeing Jason Alexander if I'm at a game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, I agree with you on that. But I think tonight will be a good one, and then tomorrow we get uh, Eric Lauer versus Alex Cobb, who for the San Francisco Giants has added uh, like a velocity, like a mile per hour, um, on a couple of his pitches too. So kind of like what I was saying with the Giants. They can add just one thing or two and kind of help these pitchers kind of get back to... You'd love to see one good start from Lauer again before the All-Star break. I think um, I'm kind of actually pleased with Lauer, his last couple starts especially. I'm, I know we all want him to get to what he was to begin the season. And which that's probably just unrealistic, out. yeah. It, I think it is very unrealistic. Um, not very, but I just don't think that's who Eric Lauer is at the end of the day. Sure, he's definitely, you know gotten better as a Milwaukee Brewer on a lot of his pitches and stuff like that. But I just think that what you're seeing right now, especially that, that outing against the Cubs, who I think that was a really good start, a quality start that kind of got unnoticed with everything that happened in that game. I think that's more of what Eric Clower is. And I think that's perfectly fine as your number four, number five. Yeah, I think he's a solid going forward. If you wanted to, even maybe as a number three, I think he'll be solid. But I, I think that's I kind mean, of where he's at. I kind of agree with Dominic. It seems like we all forget about Freddie Peralta. It's insane. Oh, no, yeah, I'm just saying, like, I think he's a fine number three on most teams. Okay, yeah, I, but, I agree with you on I'm that. I'm not saying he's going to be better than Freddie. I'm just saying, like, on right. most teams he's fine as a number three. Because, well, let's be honest, this Brewers team has two ones, a good two when Freddie's healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, generally, if Hauser, what he's been throughout his career, would be a good three. Yeah. Lauer, a three. I mean, that's a pretty good rotation. It just... We talk about this offense, Sam. We've talked about it all year long of is it going to be good enough? And then you've seen it now on the field for the first half of the season. And, eh, you know, results are pretty much mixed. Most people say it's not good enough. 
if we if we're being a hundred percent honest, the pitching has not been as good as advertised. No, they've they've certainly taken a step back from and, where they were know, last year. And I think Tim kind of called that too. Yeah, and Rami did Rami did too when we began the season. He, that was his you know first question when we uh, before opening day even happened. Um, but I think we kind of forget too that last year's pitching staff like they had really no hiccups when it comes to health. And you can talk about performances on a you know outing by outing basis, but realistically, like health has been the biggest issue for this starting rotation. Yeah, obviously. that's definitely true. But I don't think we realize like how lucky this Brewers team was last year and not having to worry about that, especially with the starting rotation. Do you think we see Ethan Small back in the majors at some point this year? Hmm. I don't think this year. Just yeah, I don't because think so either. Freddie's going to be coming back. I don't know where it would make sense to have Ethan Small come back. Yeah, and. Another thing, too, is after the season, I just wonder what the hell do you do with the starting rotation because going into next year, you're going to have a six-man rotation again. And I don't think the Brewers – I think the Brewers would probably do that for like a month to begin the next season, but I don't know. If you really somebody's want- somebody's got to you know eventually get moved from the starting rotation yeah. because they want Aaron Ashby to be a starter. It's clear as day. Yep. I think that if you're trading Josh Hader, he's got a lot of value. Yeah. But if you could combine him with one of the starters, not one probably of the Hauser. Good- yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the guy that I've said I'd be most willing to trade because I think you kind of know what Hauser is. Right. Uh, he's a ground ball pitcher, and unfortunately just, you know. Yeah, unfortunately for him right now, he's kind of run into a lot of bad luck, and this has been probably the lowest his stock's been in a while. Yeah. But either way, people understand what Hauser is, and so if maybe you could combine Hauser with Hater, you could probably get someone pretty good to come back in the offseason. I, st- I, I still don't know if I'm sold on that idea yet, but – I'm coming more around on it. But, yeah, I mean, you could probably move one of those guys, and who knows? Maybe it's something where you, if you really wanted to get to it, maybe you could consider moving Ethan Small and keeping Hauser. Yeah, I mean, maybe you do want to keep a six-man rotation because eventually next year, too, like somebody's going to eventually get injured, whether or not it's for— The only thing I dislike about a six-man rotation, I guess in some ways you can do it as like a five-man and a guy every now, every other turn gets his chance— is because now they're limiting number of pitchers. Right. And for you to have a six-man rotation, that leaves you with a seven-man bullpen. But it's technically a seven-man rotation because Ethan Small is just knocking on the door, too. Yeah. So So I think that's the thing that I would generally not be in favor of, and I think that's why you might see a little bit of a change in the game of baseball over the next couple seasons as they kind of evolve to that rule is I think you're going to start seeing starters go a little bit deeper in games yeah. than you were seeing when they could carry as many pitchers as they wanted. We got, um before the show ends, we actually got the Brewers starting lineup just oh, now. Oh, let's hear it. Twitter. Why not? Some good news. Uh, we saw him on the base paths in the extra innings yesterday for the Brewers, but Christian Yelich is back in the lineup, batting leadoff for the Brewers in left field. Willie Adamas is uh, in at shortstop at the number two spot. Andrew McCutcheon batting third. He is the DH tonight for the Brewers. Mike Brasso, your three-hitter from last night. Well, guess what? He's batting cleanup now. Boom. He'll be playing first base. Thank you. First base for Brasso. Has he ever played first base this year? <laughs> I don't think this year, no. Uh, okay, that'll be interesting. Um, Hunter Renfro batting fifth for the Brewers. He'll be in right field. Luis Arias batting sixth. He'll be playing third base tonight. Your catcher behind the plate of your three, it's Pedro Severino. For the Milwaukee Brewers. Interesting. Batting eighth will be Colton Wong at second base. And then the hero of last night, Jonathan Davis, batting ninth for the Brewers. So once again, Yelich, Adamas, McCutcheon, Brasso, Renfro, Urias, Severino, Wong, and Davis. Rowdy Tellez getting the day off. Renfro behind Brasso. I think we're getting a little nitpicky now on lineups because I know 
It's a lineup. It doesn't really matter. But either way, I mean. Interesting. I don't necessarily like that. I think it's interesting, too, that you give both catchers the night off. I think it's interesting that you're going with uh, Jace Peterson, not Jace Peterson at first base, but instead Brasso. Peterson's played first this year, and he's done a pretty good job. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if I like it. I don't think I dislike it. Wong all the way down in the eight hole. I saw this from uh, Todd Rosiak just now. Um, Christian Yelich is a career 406 hitter against Alex Wood. Interesting. Hopefully that equivalates to power. Maybe hit one to McCovey Cove tonight. That'd be nice. And Miguel Sanchez has been sent to AAA on a rehab assignment, so could be getting him back soon as well. That'll be nice. Be nice. Hopefully the Brewers can get a couple of these games. Win three out of four going into the break against San Francisco. You got to feel good about that, right? Oh, if for sure. I'll, that. If I if we just you know win tonight or tomorrow, I, I'll definitely take a split going into the you know the worst we can do. You know what's going to happen is we're going to say like blah blah blah. We're going to say Sunday's a wash for San Francisco, and they'll find a way to like shell Logan Webb and Jason Alexander. Oh, for goes sure. Six scoreless. Yeah. <laughs> Gives up twelve hits. Doesn't somehow none of them score. Right. So <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean Logan Webb has had his hiccups this year. He definitely he, lately he's been the old Logan Webb that we know last year. But uh, he has he's definitely had a rough year to say the least. Yeah. Well, hopefully the Brewers can get. I'd love for two out of the next three. Win the series yeah. going into the All Star break. That'd be fun. All right. It's been fun hanging out with you guys all week. I'll be in again next week with Sam. So make sure to tune into the Fan Afternoon Show. Have a good weekend for Sam Schmitz. I'm Toby Altizer. It's the Fan Afternoon Show. We'll see you next time. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.